Okay, I'm going to go back. Do you remember our little star that we, we put kind of five preliminary points together and to get it to better understand the temple, we need to understand these five points. And one of the most important is to understand that the purpose of kind of the chapel ordinances or in the Old Testament tabernacle, it was out in the courtyard, was the overcoming the telestial and becoming terrestrial. And so we, I call them chapel ordinances, the baptismal fonts. All of those are a pull from telestial to terrestrial. And we talked about that. So much of the gospel is an invitation to give up the terrestrial and become terrestrial. What kind of change is this? What's the gist of that change? I'd say it's more outward. So it's an action. It's a performance. It's what I do. It's, it's a change of behavior. Dion? Very good. A temporal outer versus an inner, right? So where do I first promise Heavenly Father to obey? That is not first done in the temple. Would you agree? Where do you first live, promise to live the law of obedience? Isn't this all about these people don't do and these people do? Or these people do and these people don't do, whichever the case is. This is, I promise I will do. Isn't that the gist of kind of coming out of the telestial is that you promise I will obey God? So why then is the very first covenant in the endowment room the same thing? That's what we're going to address tonight. But I think we can all agree that this is where I first promised to obey. I promised in the water of a, a baptism I would obey. In fact, every time we perform the sacrament, what does the priest say? And witness unto thee, O God, the eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son, and always remember him. And so when did I commit to obey? Baptism, sacrament, I promised then to obey. Why then? is the first covenant in the temple. Now, if, if, if my theory is correct, that the temple, that this right here, is the purpose of the temple, that this is the purpose of the chapel, and that this is the purpose of the temple, and that every covenant points, points us from terrestrial to celestial. If this is obedience, why? is disobedience. And keep going. When do I promise to live the law of chastity? When do I promise to live the law of chastity? Can I even go to the temple if I'm not living the law of chastity? Is that door even open to me? If I am not living the law of chastity, can I even go into the temple? No. Living the law of chastity is required to even enter the temple. Why then do I promise to live the law of chastity? Now, I get that Heavenly Father is a God of repetition. I get it, and I get that 
that re repetition is good. And we repeat the sacrament covenant every single week. But we also believe that temple ordinances are higher. So if there's a law of obedience that I covenant at baptism, what is the higher law of obedience? Do you see the question we're going to try and answer tonight? Can you ask that again? So... If I, when do I promise to live the law of obedience? When did I first promise, make a covenant with God that I would live the law of obedience? Baptism. And every sacrament, what am I promising? And then I go into the temple, and the very first law I promise to obey is? Now, I get the repetition. I'm saying, I understand that he's repeating, but I also am claiming that the temple is a higher covenant. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. What is the difference between chapel law of obedience and temple law of obedience? Do you see the question? The same thing we're going to ask in a couple weeks. When did I promise to live the law of chastity? Can't even go to the temple without living the law of chastity, right? If I'm living outside the bounds of chastity, can I even have a temple recommend? No. And the, the fourth covenant I make in the temple is? Okay, so something funny is going on here unless we say, what's the elevated higher covenant of the temple trying to do. So I, I wanted to ask the question first before we actually move forward, because I want it on your mind as we talk about. So going back to this transition from telestial to terrestrial and from terrestrial to celestial, what then is this change? What is the gist of asking people to get out of the terrestrial room and get into a celestial room. Get out of the terrestrial world and get into the terrestrial or the celestial world. Again, we're not talking terrestrial, celestial kingdom. That's a kingdom of glory that someday, long from now, we're talking about the terrestrial and celestial worlds that are part of our mortal existence. And when we go through the temple, we symbolically go through the celestial world. In some of our temples, we have telestial actual rooms. And you can see pictures of them on the church's website. You can see in the celestial temple that there is a telestial room. Now, symbolic of that room is every telestial thing in this world. Now, to get out of that room, you have to let go of every telestial thing. Symbolically, how many telestial things can you carry into the terrestrial room? Not one of them. So the symbolism of my journey is I have to let go of everything telestial. Now, that change of going from telestial to terrestrial is a change of behavior. So there are things I am not doing that I must start doing in order to go into the terrestrial room. Can you name one? Name something I must do to go into the terrestrial room. Rose. 
<laughs> I must be honest. I must speak honestly. I must pay a tithe. I must. And so here are all the to-dos. All right, there are things I need to stop doing. Can you name something celestial people have to stop doing in order to go into the terrestrial room? You got to stop murdering. You got to stop committing adultery. You have to stop lying and cheating and stealing. In other words, this transition is an outward transition of action where I do or I don't do. So let's use the, let's use the, we'll do them both. If these people do, then these people don't do. Would you agree? If these people don't do, these people do. But here's what's funny. If they don't do, they don't do. Oh my goodness, I'm struggling. Would you agree? These people do. These terrestrial do, terrestrial don't do, but neither do celestial. And if we're talking about something that they don't do, terrestrial. So what then is the difference between terrestrial and celestial? Dion? Okay. So we would say these people do and these people are. Good. How else would you describe it? Laura? Okay. So it's a desire. So perhaps one of the greatest differences between terrestrial and celestial people is desire. Now, do you remember where we studied this? Where in the scriptures did we turn to talk about celestial, terrestrial, celestial? We turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Can I show you a funny pattern in the Sermon on the Mount? Go to, we did Book of Mormon version last. How about we do New Testament? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the New Testament version of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, chapter 5 is about the difference between telestial, terrestrial, and celestial. Matthew chapter 5, for example, here's what got you to terrestrial. Sorry, let me get there. All right, Matthew 5. Let's jump to verse 21. What got you to terrestrial? What got you out of the celestial room and into the terrestrial? Don't kill, okay? If you're a killer, you can't leave the celestial room. And I think that applies to violence in any form. If you hit, you cannot leave the celestial room. If you are a violent, mean person, you cannot leave the celestial room. You can't go into the terrestrial room. So stop being violent. Stop the action of causing harm to other people. Now, Jesus now says, let me get you out of the terrestrial and into the celestial. Verse 22, how do you get out of the terrestrial room? What is it, Laura? Stop 
the anger in your heart. Stop wanting to hurt them. Now, I'm a decent person if I don't hurt. But what gets me out of terrestrial and into celestial? Stop wishing you could. Stop secretly fantasizing that you could hurt them. Stop the anger inside. Do you see that transition? Now, let's do law of chastity. Verse 27, what got you out of the telestial room and into the terrestrial room? Stop committing adultery, okay? You commit adultery, you can't leave the telestial room. Sexual transgressions will keep you in the telestial room. You cannot leave the telestial room if you are guilty of sexual transgressions. Now, what's the push to get out of the terrestrial and into the celestial room? Verse 28. Stop doing it in your mind. Stop thinking about it. Stop wishing you could. Stop fantasizing. So, these people commit adultery. These people don't commit adultery. And these people don't think about it. See the pattern? Um, we did this weeks ago, so we won't go through all of them. But how about, how about verse 28 or 38 and 39? Eye for an eye. What is it about Harriman that causes my allergies just to freak out? Every time I come, I was fine when I got here, wasn't I? Whatever it is. I don't know if it's the building or the plants. I don't know. But my allergies are going crazy. No. I promise that's not it. Okay, verse 38. What got you out of the telestial room? Stop getting revenge. Stop poking out their eye because they poked out yours. Stop stealing teeth because your, yours were stealing. You're stolen. Stop getting even. What will get you out of the terrestrial room and into the celestial room? Verse 39, don't return evil for evil. So celestial people poke out eyes and steal teeth. Terrestrial people only poke out eyes and steal teeth if you poked out mine and stole mine. That's fair, that's even. What will get you out of the terrestrial room and into the celestial? Stop. Revenge in your heart. Stop returning evil for evil. That's hard to do, isn't it? So, these people poke out eyes and steal teeth. These people don't. But these people, they don't. Do you see? One more. Verse 43, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. You'll love the people that love you and hate the people that hate you. That's terrestrial. Telestial people just love themselves and hate everyone. Very much so, right? Telestial people only love themselves. Everyone else is their enemy because it takes away from me. Terrestrial people love the people that are nice to them and hate the people that are mean to them. 
It's easy to be terrestrial. Celestial people, love everyone, even the people who don't deserve my love. Are there people who don't deserve your love? Haven't earned it, don't deserve it, shouldn't receive it. And when you say, I give it to them anyway, that's a celestial act. If Heavenly Father only loved me when I deserved his love, I'd be in big trouble. He says, I'm going to give it to you no matter what. Do you see the terrestrial, celestial, telestial? Now, here's the thing that fascinates me as we go to the next chapter. He drops the telestial. He says, let's not have this discussion. Let's have this discussion. And chapter six is all about doing good for the right or the wrong reason. Chapter six has nothing to do with people who don't do good, so we've eliminated them. But chapter six is about those who do good for the wrong reason. Now, I don't know that we have the full sermon here, but he really only picked one wrong reason. So let's elaborate. What's the wrong reason? Well, let's go through the list. Verse one, what's the good deed that might be done for the wrong reason? Being nice, doing good things to other people might be done for the wrong reason. Okay, how about verse five? What's the good deed that might be done for the wrong reason? Praying. And? Verse 16, what's the good deed that might be done for the wrong reason? Fasting. So he mentions three good deeds that are done for the wrong reason, but he mentions the same wrong reason. So verse 2, verse 6, and verse 16, what's the wrong reason for doing those good things? Okay. So he's going to mention one. So let me erase this. Terrestrial people do good things to be noticed. I need you to notice that I did it. If you struggle doing good, if they don't notice, you're living a terrestrial life. Again, we're all in the process, but bear with me. I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just trying to teach a concept. But these people do good to be seen. Now, how often have you been tempted to do good so that people notice? I want you to notice that I did good. The moment your motive is to be noticed, your good deed became a terrestrial deed, not a celestial deed. Now that's hard concept because man, do we like people to notice what we've done. You know that one poem, where shall I work today? My love flowed warm and free. He pointed out a tiny spot and said, tend that for me. Oh no, not there, not anyone would see, not that tiny spot for me. Say it louder. 
No matter how well my work was done, not that small place for me. When he spoke, he was not stern, but he answered me tenderly. Go ahead. You got it, Dion? <laughs> this is in one of my favorite talks. There we go. Uh, so here's the whole poem. Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. Then he pointed out a tiny spot and said, tend that for me. I answered quickly, oh no, not that. Why, no one would ever see, no matter how well my work was done, not that little place for me. And the word he spoke, it was not stern. He answered me tenderly, Ah, little one, search that heart of thine. Art thou working for them or for me? Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. But that's, I think that's, that's the, that's the essence of the temple, is pushing us out of the terrestrial room and into the terrestrial and into the celestial. And one of the things that needs to change is my motive for doing good. So being seen is one terrestrial. How about we elaborate and talk about some other wrong motives for doing good things? What are some terrestrial motives for doing good things? EJ, what? Okay, keep going. I think we're going to combine those. I'm going to do good so that I receive something. I'm going to give so that I get. If your motive was reward, you're living a terrestrial life. If your motive, and I've heard a lot of people, oh, I'll find, I'll, I'll go to the service project because, uh, there, okay, there's cookies. Or I'll go to the service project because a thousand reasons. I want a reward for what I'm doing. Now, related to that is this idea that if I do good, I put God in my debt. How many times have you kind of said to God, you should bless me with this because I've done really good lately. Heavenly Father, I... I'm working really hard to teach these religion classes to bring people to the temple so you should bless my family with something that I need. In other words, I'm doing good so that God pays me to put God in my debt. And I find myself praying that often as if my good deeds deserve a reward. If I did my good deeds for a reward, even from God, I've turned them into a terrestrial act. That's hard, isn't it? Do you see the invitation to come out of the terrestrial and into the celestial? Do good for the right reason. Give me another one. Obligation. Obligation. Oh, Latter-day Saints. I do good out of guilt. What? It's an invisible being. I do good out of guilt. Oh, Latter-day Saints. 
I have to go. Why do you have to go? I'll feel so guilty if I don't. Okay, go do your terrestrial deed. I don't mean to be negative and pointing fingers, but you just turned your good deed into a terrestrial act because your motivation is to free yourself of the guilt. I signed up for the missionaries because I feel guilty if I don't. And that's a common one. I better go. Why? Well, I'll feel so guilty if I don't. So your motive is to free yourself of guilt. Good deed, wrong reason. Do you see where we're going with this? See where Jesus is going with chapter six of, of Matthew? Good deeds for the wrong reasons. Now he culminates that. Go to chapter seven. He culminates it, judgment and so many other things we do for good reasons. Let's go to 21 through 23. He's saying, look, I'm so grateful that you prophesied in my name. I'm grateful that you cast out devils and I'm grateful that you did many wonderful works, but you missed the whole point. Anyone want to read those? Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Seven. Matthew 7, yeah, flip one more chapter. 7, 21 through 23, please. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth... Now again, the clarification is, not any kingdom of glory. We're talking celestial. Not everyone who did good is going to the celestial kingdom. Let's get that straight. People who did good will not end up in the celestial kingdom because... Uh, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in the Now there's a Joseph Smith change on that verse. Can you guess what Joseph changed it to? You never knew me. Never knew me. What does he mean by that? Your reasons for doing good had nothing to do with me and my desires and what's, what's important to Christ. So tell me, why, what are the celestial reasons for doing good? Because it's good. But keep going. Because I could turn that into a terrestrial. I could turn that into a terrestrial. I have to do it because if I don't, I'll feel guilty. So what's the celestial reason? Go beyond that. What's the celestial reason? Like when people say, like, oh, that spoke to me, this has screamed <laughs> to me. Um, just how scary to get there and then to have that said to you, you never knew me. Yeah. Just terrifying. Yeah. You did all the actions. You went through the motions, but you didn't understand that the actions, the purpose of doing good was to connect you to the good, to the capital G good. So why is it that I do good? Why do I pray? So you can see me and know what a spiritual man I am or to talk to him. That's it. It's the relationship with Christ. Why do I give alms? So my name goes on the building 
It's because he loves these people and I love these people and I want to bless them. Let me show you an interesting connection. The people who got to the tree, some of them didn't stay and some of them did stay, right? In Lehi's dream, I don't want to get lost in the details, but what was one of the major differences between the people who got there and stayed and got there and didn't stay? Turn to 1 Nephi chapter 8, where Lehi's doing the tree of life. And when he starts describing the people who get to the tree and stay at the tree, one of the major differences, sorry, 1 Nephi chapter 8. Look at verse 30. The people who stay at the tree, when they get there, Tell me what they do. They fall down. Because? Their connection to him. So why did the others get there? duty, obligation, blah, 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 blah. Why did the people who stay get there? Because of him. Do you see the difference? The terrestrial motive for doing good is pointed at me. The celestial reason for doing good is pointed at him. Now, back to the question. We can finally answer the question. I covenanted to obey the law of obedience, to keep the law of obedience back here. I promised to live the law of obedience. Then I go into the endowment room, and the very first covenant I make is to live the law of obedience. Do you now see the difference? What is it that you covenanted in the temple that was up and beyond what you covenanted in the baptismal font? In the baptismal font, I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. What's different in the temple? Do you see it yet? Tell me what's different. The reason for being obedient. That's our first covenant. It's not, I will do. It's, I desire to do. I will change my desires to obey. I would suggest that terrestrial people have to obey. Celestial people want to. Do you see the difference? I don't think that very first covenant is a change of behavior. 
That doesn't fit with the pattern of the temple, does it? That very first covenant is a change of attitude and desire. Do you want what Heavenly Father wants? Do you need to ask for his permission? Or do you just want for yourself what he wants for you? Boyd K. Packer said something years ago that completely changed me as a parent. He was speaking about parenting, but to me this applies to Heavenly Father. Boyd K. Packer said the following. In our family, I have a key that I use, a kind of fatherly key. With my children, I know when it's time to lift supervision. As I meet young people around the church, they are always saying, when will my parents ever think I have enough maturity to act for myself? I know with my children. I have employed this key. I know that they are ready for full freedom in any field of endeavor the moment they stop resenting supervision. At that moment, I can back off, let them alone, and really just be there to respond if they come for help. See how that applies to Heavenly Father? I grant you power through obedience the moment you want to obey. Celestial people want to act like He acts. It's their greatest desire. Therefore, I would suggest that the very first covenant of the temple isn't a covenant that will change your behavior. It's a covenant that will change your desires. I'm going to take all the commandments and I want to live them. I am not resistant anymore. I want to obey. Ezra Taft Benson, another prophet, said it a little similar, but a little bit differently. President Benson said the following, When obedience ceases to be an irritant and becomes our quest, in that moment, God will endow us with power. The, when obedience ceases to be an irritant and becomes our quest, in that moment, God will endow us with power. Now, of all the people who have ever lived, you know how Hollywood fantasizes about having omnipotent power? Isn't that why we love superhero movies? Giving God's power to human beings and watching what they do with it? It entertains us. The thought of having omnipotent power entertains us. We love the idea. But of all the people who have ever lived, only one that we know of outside of Christ was given omnipotent power. Only one. 
There is in the scriptures the record of God giving his omnipotent power to one human being. Perhaps I believe one of the greatest prophets who has ever lived. I suspect there were others, but the record says, you say it and it will be done. His name, Dion? Nephi, son of Helaman. But the reason he got that power, the reason God gave him that power, let's turn there, Helaman chapter 10 in the Book of Mormon. The whole reason Nephi was given that ultimate power, whatever you do, whatever you say will happen. So Helaman chapter 10. Let's see it, verse five. I will, right in the middle, I will make thee mighty in word and in deed and faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word. Whatever you say will happen. Skip the end. Um, verse six, ye shall have power over this people and shall smite the earth with famine, with pestilence, with destruction, according to the wickedness of the people. I give unto you power that whatsoever you shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed on heaven. Verse 8, if you say to this temple, rip in half, it shall be done. Verse 9, if you say to this mountain, cast down and become smooth, it shall be done. If you say that God shall smite this people, it shall be done. He was just given omnipotent power. And the whole reason, end of verse 5, was why? You want what I want. The moment I want what God wants, I get his power. But I should not have his power until I want what he wants. What's the first thing that Nephi does with his omnipotent power? He calls for a famine so they repent. What kind of person has he become? Just like God. Now, my invitation to you is to see the first covenant of the endowment differently than you've ever seen it. It is not an invitation to change your behavior. That should have happened in the baptismal font. That should happen at the sacrament table. In the temple, it is an invitation to change your attitude about his commandments. Now, I know you all have favorites. We all have favorite commandments that I don't have a problem obeying. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the ones you don't want to obey. The covenant of obedience in the temple is, I am going to change my desire so that I want what God wants. I feel what he feels. I desire what he desires. I want to keep his commandments. I want to live as he lives. And there's covenant number one. 
Will you obey? Great, get baptized. Will you seek obedience? Will you make sure obedience stops being an irritant and becomes a quest? Then you get out of the terrestrial room and you get to go into the celestial room. One last scripture is coming up and come follow me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This beautiful verse in the Old Testament, where did God write the law? Almost as if, where did he have to write the law? 2 Corinthians, so New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In the Old Testament, verse 3, where was the law written? Where did it have to be written? Big stone tables, right? Printed right in front of them. It had to be written on their doorposts. It had to be on little scrolls that they put on their forehead. The law had to be written everywhere so they remembered. But where does God want the law? Verse 3, where does he want the law? written on the fleshy table of my heart. He doesn't need, I want to be the person he doesn't need to remind because I want to do what he wants me to do. When I have become that person, I am freed from the terrestrial room and I get to go into the celestial room. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.